Well, hello, Derek. Hello, Ben. How's it going? Going pretty well. I feel like there's a third person here. Why do you feel that way? Um, maybe because his face is in the lower left of my browser window. Yeah, I'm used to having you be half the browser, and now you're a third the browser, and I don't like the change. I'm gonna be it's throwing it all off. Yeah. yeah. You should kick that guy off the podcast. <laughs> Doesn't this guy have his own podcast, you know? Right. Don't people hear enough from this guy already? <laughs> yeah, he's got to come on every podcast. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm Rob. Hey, Rob. Thanks for uh, joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to hang out with you guys today. Yeah, I was just... Um, whining i guess to derek about how i've never been on a podcast with you and him at the same time because he he brings you in as my my surrogate my substitute when i'm gone right yeah i wasn't sure how this was going to turn out because there was a little animosity before i know you like you know you were afraid rob was trying to stage a coup and take your spot totally elbowing in on my on my host chair twitter feud I noticed you moved all of my my things <laughs> at my desk. <laughs> Why is my the drawer that I use? It's cleaned out. That's right. That bottle of bourbon is gone. <laughs> well, that's that's my typical mo. Anyways, don't don't leave any bottle of bourbon around. It'll... Yeah, that's that's fair. I should have expected that. Yeah. To be fair. So yeah, it's nice to have you here. Uh, we're going to do our normal thing, though. I think we're going to do updates and just kind of check in as if you were as if you were another me or Derek. Love it. Those are my favorite parts of any episode anyways. I know your your whole show is updates, but a lot of shows, there's updates at the beginning and then there's other educational content. I think a lot of us are like, I come for the updates. That's that's totally my jam. Like there's this podcast startup for the rest of us and uh, that part is definitely my favorite part. Yeah. <laughs> and then I skip to the end. <laughs> I know I noticed, uh, I noticed it was at Brian Castle or somebody was like posting their favorite podcasts and they were like, startups for the rest of us, the intro part especially or something like that. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> dang it. <laughs> <laughs> but there's good content on the second part too it's just we should I have think. a separate feed maybe you yeah. know of just the updates right it's like, it'd be like an eight minute episode Tactics every and week. updates I, or something i've had know. this idea of like providing edited versions of various people's things where it's like okay i like this person on twitter but 20 percent of the time they like get really negative about things and i don't really want to like see negative tweets so like i'm just gonna offer like this person but like minus the negative as a service yeah that's cool so like derek reimer as a service for example because he's, <laughs> he's who you're talking about we all know all my political rants just take them <laughs> exactly or, right, yeah or someone's like i love their programming stuff but then they also like baseball and I'm right. just like, I just don't care about the baseball stuff. So like, if I could just, I'd want that minus that. Yeah. Someday. We'll see. There's a startup idea. That's true AI. That. Yeah, exactly. We could raise <laughs> yeah. millions for that. You realize. Exactly. It's like tiny startups for the rest of us. Oh my gosh. Just, just the intro. <laughs> nice. So, um, I'm having a good week. It's been pretty good for us in, in like tuple marketing land in particular. So in October, we got 300 people on our uh, like launch list. We added 300 people to our launch list. And I was like, all right, that was cool. Let me see if I can up that by like 20% for November. I don't know if that's a reasonable goal, but let me just set that as a target. And so I did that. And a few days ago, we were not on track to hit that number. And I was like, oh, that's, that sucks. Like, I, I did think I could hit this. I had been on a couple podcasts, which help, but I was like still a little bit behind. And I was like, you know what? Let me... One, th I re one thing I realized is like, I haven't actually announced the fact that like we have like a, an alpha a release date scheduled so let me just like tweet this thing and then ask people to retweet it and man i just keep getting surprised by how willing people are to help out when you ask them to do it a ton of people retweeted it like it's gotten a crazy amount of impressions and whatnot and like we're now at we added so far net like 590 people wow so double so 
Yeah, so it just like blew up. And like basically looking at the referrers and all that, like basically everything is from that tweet, that single tweet. That's crazy. And it's it's because people like you. You know what I mean? It's because you've given so... But you've given so much to the... They like and know you, I mean, I think. It's like you've given so much to the community with doing the interviews and just whatever. You throw a bunch of value out in the world and like a small portion of that comes back, you know? <laughs> that still doesn't feel real somehow. I still feel lucky. Like every time I'm like, this is a fluke. Like, why are people being so nice to me? And then like usually Derek or somebody's like, well, you're, you're usually nice to people. And I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I am. I don't, and I don't think of it as that like, you know, input output thing, but it, it kind of works out that way. And it's really, it's beautiful. The old golden rule just coming right back at you. Yeah. Yeah. This keeps showing up. Like there's a, after you subscribe to our mailing list, there's like a, a thing on the thank you page, which is a tweet button. It's like, hey, like if you could share this, that would be, also be really awesome. And a lot of people share it, like a surprising amount. And I'm just like, man, I wouldn't have expected in particular developers to like do something like that. And a lot of people do. And it's just like, wow, it's, it's, it's awesome what you can get if you ask for it. Um, so Chad Fowler and I, uh, Chad Fowler is like a Ruby uh, personality. And he and I have like, I, I kind of very loosely knew him from years ago. He was like a conference organizer at a conference I spoke at. And we've like been very lightly in touch, but mostly not. And I happened to notice that after that tweet, he followed me. And I was like, oh, wow, that's cool. Chad Fowler followed me. Um, he's a cool guy. Also, he has 367,000 followers. And, and I was like, man, I hope he retweets that. That would be so handy. And I like sat around for a couple hours and like he didn't. And I was like, ah, I really was hoping he would do it. And so I just like, for the heck of it, just DM'd him. I was like, is there any chance you could just like retweet this? Like, it would be really helpful. And he was like, yeah, no problem. And he like did the quote tweet and it was like, I'm really excited to see this done right. Like knowing Ben, this is going to be great. And like just like gave me like an extra plug on top of it. And like that was when like the thing really blew up, I think. And it was just like, wow, I'd like, I could have just not asked, but it was actually pretty easy to ask. And the results were awesome. It is something I think as developers that we we don't want to come off as salesy. And so we tend to go way on the other side of the spectrum it, to our detriment, you know, even having the little ask thing, you know, hey, please share this if you feel it's cool at the end of that opt in. That's something that I probably would have felt weird about 10 years ago, you know, or at least thought about, ah, should I do that? But if I think the product's going to be good, if I have confidence in the founders, if I like the founders, if whatever, there's a bunch of reasons I want to help them. And I often go out of my way to like do a tweet, but it's so much nicer if it's one button. You're helping me if I want to, and you're really not hurting me if I don't. Because I'm just going to skip it and be like, I'm not. Because half the time, you know, I back a bunch of Kickstarters. Like, it's it's a, it's a an addiction. And um, <laughs> and I almost never tweet those. But I'm not offended that they ask me every time. You know, it doesn't bother me. So that's, I, I'm, I'm glad that that worked out for you. And even if he hadn't, like, you know, what's the worst case? Like, you could have offended him feasibly, right? Or he could have been like, oh, my gosh, Ben, like, uh, this guy, you know, we yeah, don't know each other. Try hard. Right. Or he could have said, yeah. Hey, it's just not appropriate for my audience. You know, I mean, you could have put him in a weird spot or something, but it, it didn't happen. And like, look at the, the potential upside, potential downside on that one is a really, you know, is a, is a nice mix for you. Totally. Yeah. And I find this is like a consistent bias I have, where it's like, I'm consistently a little bit off where I, I picture people reacting more negatively than they almost ever do. I just, I just have to keep reminding myself of that. That one's hard for me. Speaking of the brain craziness, like, this weird thing happened to me where at first I'm like, oh, wow, like we're going to hit the goal. This is awesome. I like, I'm glad I like made this happen. And then like, then the numbers just kept going up and I was like, this is a lot of people. And then all of a sudden I started being like, now I'm a little bit scared where it's like, we're adding all these people. We are making all these promises implicitly kind of, and like, 
now there's like a lot of attention on it and it was like my brain sort of flipped over into like oh man i hope we can actually deliver for these people <laughs> and make them happy i was like i just can't be i just quickly can't live in the happiness from elation to terror i know, you know? I just, <laughs> i'm like i'm mad we missed the goal oh we blew past the goal now i'm scared that we blew past it too hard and like people are too it's just like come on dude like get it together just be happy with something just be you happy. know it's like exactly too few, too many. I'm going to be, you know, if you, you'd need to have hit 360 exactly Exa- for it to <laughs> exactly. be like, yes, victory, but it's like okay, victory, but not too much victory. Uh, yeah. And so like last night I was like reading uh, a portion of like Sherry's book. Cause I was just like, I am, I'm, I'm feeling some of the crazy. I should probably uh, be reading some of this. Yeah. I was going to say that is sounds such like a founder thing to do is to, f- is to figure out how to make almost anything into a negative feeling or a negative experience. As a developer, I always was trying to find the holes in everything, right? Because it's like, well, where's the bug going to be? Where How are they going to attack it? How blah, blah, blah. So I tend to look at things negatively anyways. What's going to break? What's going to go wrong? Which is not a good trait to like be in a relationship with, you know, with sure. someone like that. Um, yeah. And then, you know, similarly as, as, as a founder, I think it hits you as well because you're kind of trying to stay one step, you know, a couple weeks ahead. Like what, when's the other shoe going to drop? What could it possibly be? How do I prepare myself and my team for it? And it, I could totally see you getting getting all those emails and being like oh no sick panic you know yeah that was you know an interesting up and down i keep seeing people being like the hardest thing about this is just managing your mental state and i just keep being like yep totally seems true again and again honestly talking about it here helps for sure i actually am now like in the mode during the week where i'm like ah, i see myself doing those things and i want i'm going to bring it up because other people probably deal with that it'd be good to talk about it with derek and it's just like, I feel like now I'm sort of like seeing the punch before it hits me a little bit. Where it's, so it like maybe even uh, someday I will uh, block the punch. Yeah, that's good. I was walking around today with like this feeling of anxiety it just hit me all of a sudden. And I started feeling anxious and kind of stressed and just like, I feel really stressed. And I had to stop and catch myself and say, what, ex- why am I anxious? And then I remembered there was a, a Voxer that came through, which is like, you know, it's an audio email. And then I got an email that both are not that big of a deal, but somehow they spiked it. And when I actually looked at the reality of it, and I thought, you know, that one's not that important. And this one I'm going to deal with. It, and suddenly I like, I calmed way down. It purely being aware of what caused it allowed me, because I'm a naturally, I run anxious anyways. And being aware of it, I think is a huge, a huge deal. And I, I didn't even have that ability five, eh, five or 10 years ago. Like I, some, somewhere in there figured out how to do that. And so I think you having the forced accountability almost, or the, or the, you know, on this podcast each week, like it's a really good outlet to, to force yourself to do that. I appreciate you uh, sharing that because it's nice to hear like other people just going through the same thing, especially like people you admire. It's like, oh yeah, it's not like I am succeeding and there are no issues with it. It's like I succeed despite my own things. <laughs> that's like that's there, way. by the way. I haven't mastered these things. I've just gotten better at dealing with them. That's a good way to put it. Despite yeah. myself, <laughs> despite yeah. yourself, you will succeed, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's how, how it feels. So so one of the things I, I wanted to, to touch on before I turn it over is that I um, had a cool onboarding experience this week. So I got on the superhuman invite list, which is an email client. And they they pride themselves in keyboard shortcuts and speed, which is just like talking my language. And so I was like, oh, I have to try this out. But the cool thing, so the app so far is actually, it is great. It is very fast. The keyboard shortcuts are great. But the thing that stood out to me that I liked a lot was they were like, after I got the invite, they hooked me up with someone who's like an onboarding specialist type person. There was a survey, which is like, all right, how do you use email? 
Like, tell us a bunch about your email habits. And they had a great question at the end there, which was, what's your biggest email pet peeve, which I really liked. It's like them just kind of like farming for like, you know, pain points. It's like, it seemed like a great thing to just be asking your, your people that are coming into the product. But then like we actually schedule a call and someone walk, like has me share my screen and walks me through signing up for the product. And I've done this in the past for things I've made and it is just such a good idea. And like, this just reminded me, it's just like, there's just so many little things you can catch about like, oh, like she would tell me to do a thing and I would click like kind of the right thing, but not quite the right thing. And I feel like if you're like sharp and paying attention, you can go, oh, we could, we could make that label clearer or we could move that button or like, man, I, I have to tell everyone to do this. Like, what if we just made that happen automatically? Uh, but like as a person, like just as a, as a customer, it was just like, yeah, like I'm, I'm now set up for sure. And she would ask me questions along the way, like, how do you usually do this? And I'd be like, oh, X, Y, Z. And she'd be like, okay, like let's, we'll set something up that will help make that easier in the future. And so it was like, not even just like the, I'm walking you through an onboarding script, but it's actually tailored for like the things that I had told her. And it was, it was clear there was some customization there. Because this product is like invite only, or you, you can like, can you give people invites now to get in now that you're into the product? Yes, I can. Do you get the sense that they're going to continue doing this for a long time? Like, is this kind of their their plan for rolling I, I out? I don't. I mean, if it were me, I would. Like, if you have pent up demand, that's awesome. Like, as soon as I was like, oh, I just got superhuman. Like, I had a couple people reach out and be like, can I have an invite? And I just feel like that's like, why would you get get away from that? Yeah. So who, I like that they've managed to. I mean, I think it's really valuable the way they're doing this because they're they're setting up the user for success and they're learning a bunch and they've managed to like they're like leveraging the scarcity thing where like there's people there's a lot of people who want in and they're like nope not yet you know and so i think they're in a really good spot and that's just interesting yep i agree i see like tuple doing this for a while like a private beta invite only kind of thing if we can keep that demand going i agree i don't think that's a bad idea at all it allows you to go at your pace and you can accelerate that if suddenly you had you know more money or more people you can accelerate it and if not you keep it slow the only downside I can think of is, you know, it if someone signs up and then it takes six months for them to get in, have they cooled off? Have they found another alternative? You don't, it, it depends. I mean, with you, they're really, <laughs> with Duple, there isn't much of an alternative. So I, you don't have that yet. But if you had competitors that were, come, like, if, uh, for example, if we had tried that with Drip, it wouldn't work. People just go and use another tool. But interesting, there's a really good talk, uh, business of software. It's publicly available and it's by the founder, one of the founders. I don't know if there are multiple founders, but the founder of... Um, superhuman and he also started reportive remember reportive mm -hmm. the plugin yep. for gmail that linkedin bought yep and then i think he worked there for a year or two and then he came out and the, the talk is called the building a product market fit engine or machine building a product market fit machine and he goes through the process of how they developed superhuman and and how they you know made a tool that that has this much demand because this is not by accident Right. Oh, yeah. That's that's the I don't want anyone listening to this to think that, oh, they stumbled upon that. No, the, they're really smart, really savvy, multi-time founders already exited like they know the game. So they've, they've they've done a really good job. But so the learning from that is not, oh, this can happen. It's how did they do it and how could I potentially reproduce it? You know, because they engineered it very well. Yeah, I read an, an article he wrote that was in depth about their like product market fit strategy and it was awesome I, I we touched on it in a, in a previous episode and i found it great yep and this this talk is a a talk version of that article so i don't know if there's more in one form or another but it's definitely cool to hear him talk it through yeah I, i'd be interested in seeing that even having read the article yeah yeah so that's it for me you want to go next uh one of you two <laughs> sure <laughs> why, don't you, why don't you go next rob i feel like you're you're, yeah. you're we'll make a rob sandwich <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I am the turkey today. 
so I'm working these days I'm working on on tiny seed and tinyseed.com we just got the .com which I'm pretty stoked about before we we had tinyseedfund.com cuz a squatter was on tiny seed but I negotiated with them and and landed it. When I heard someone talking about it on a podcast and they're like, what's the URL? Is it tinyseed.com? And I was like, oh, this is this is going to kill me. And then people started ta- calling it, yeah, Rob's working on Tiny Seed Fund. And I'm yeah. like, no, 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 it's not. <laughs> it's yeah, not the, the guy that founded GetDrip, right? Exactly. So I was like, <laughs> oh, I refuse to do this again. again. Yeah, <laughs> have to do. I'm going with tinyseed.ly if I have to, you know. <laughs> I need something. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Rob's working on Tiny Seedly. <laughs> so so tiny seed is uh for the you know those who haven't heard it's um it's an accelerator a startup accelerator but it's designed for folks who traditionally would probably bootstrap the idea is instead of making it an on-site accelerator where you have to move somewhere for three months and you get a you know small amount of funding to kind of carry through and then the the end goal of most accelerators like y combinator and 500 startups is to to raise that round right it's to raise your your seed or your series a or whatever um our idea is much more catering to our our crew, the th- our collective group, the microconf crowd, the startups or the rest of us crowd, the folks who want to build, um, you know, a seven figure business, maybe an eight figure, bit low eight figure business. We'll never have a unicorn, you know. We're not looking for Facebooks and Googles, and we, you know, ha- are, are developing a model to essentially make that viable. So that if someone wants to run a software company, run a SaaS app that does five million a year. And either throws off cash as dividends, and we all share in that. Or if they want to exit later, we all share in that. You know that that kind of thing. So it's trying to take a more like sane approach. I think which is something that obviously Sherry and I have preached a lot. Um, it's just like let's not go crazy and work ninety hour weeks. Let's let's just let's work and build really cool stuff that we can all we can all you know participate in or all uh, you know get the benefit from. How does it feel coming back into the the game, like starting a new thing? Are you back in the madness? Um. I am, you know, so I took six months off after Drip, although that's not true, actually. A, I ran MicroConf, and then I, you know, do the podcast and stuff, but I, I took about three months off and then started thinking about what was next, and then started put, you know, working with my co-founder to put a deck together, and then, you know, so, but it was really limited stuff, and it wasn't until October um, that kind of, you know, went public with the announcement and, and did the tweet and the blog post and the whole thing and started building the list. It definitely feels, I feel less madnessy, you know, less like obsessed about it. But I really, I have, I think, a, a small feeling of this is going to be really fun. And I love working on novel things, a novel, a novel approach to an old problem is how it feels, right? It's like starting the podcast and starting MicroConf, it was like, well, I want to do these things. Is anyone else doing these things, right? Building sustainable software products. And it was finding that community really. And then over the years, and then as soon as I had money, I started angel investing in startups like this, you know, it's like the Jordan Galls of the world, the, you know, the, the Justin McGill's, the, you know, the Matt, Matt and Joel Goldman's like folks who are building again, six, seven, you know, low eight figure SaaS apps. And I think this feels like a next step. So it feels like a very natural uh, extension of, you know, what I would have already done at the same time. I will totally admit to feeling pretty dang scared, you know, it's, it's a new, what if it fails? What if we can't pull this off? You know, what if, what if all, all the companies just don't do well? You know, I I can't imagine that, but like, what, what if these are the, what ifs you think about, right? I'm the, I'm the founder like you, who's trying to think of how everything can go wrong, you know? Yeah. It's, it's interesting to hear that because it's not like 
you're taking like an early shot where you're like, if this fails, I'm like in in some financial trouble or this might be dangerous for me. You're like in a pretty comfortable position after selling drip, presumably. Uh, and so it's like, it's this is about reputation, I guess. Yeah, I think so. I think it's about reputation. I think reputation is a big part of it because I've built a, you know, a, a reputation in over yeah. a decade or more. But again, even let's say we do it and it doesn't work. Is everyone going to say, "Boy, that Rob guy doesn't know anything"? You know that—that's mm, the thing I have to yeah. tell my. This is my self-talk. Like, yeah, exactly. he was—he was always a clown. He got lucky. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like, he never actually knew what right. he was doing. That's of course the voice we hear in our heads. But totally. then I tell myself, like, I don't actually think anyone will say that. You know? Yeah. Right. Um, exactly. So I think it's some of that. I also think it's, you know, it's a whatever, it, however many years it is—three years, five years, seven years. You know, it's, I'm committing a lot to that, as we all are to our startups. And it's like, if it fails, that will be a bummer. I will be disappointed because I do want, I do really believe in this and I will be, um, I will be disappointed, I think. Do you think that like the angel investing you've done has kind of set you up to be like prepared for the super long feedback loop? Like I was thinking about this the other day where like you're like, unlike a startup where you can be like setting a mini milestone of like, I want to pull in this much revenue this month or grow by this much. It's like, you're just kind of bringing on this cohort, investing in these companies, and then are they going to succeed? I don't know. Ask me in a couple of years, yeah. you know? Yeah, but the, the nice part is there's feedback every month, right? Because, yeah, or true. frankly, every week or every other week, however often we do calls, it's like, what's going on this week? Update calls and office hours, you know? And you know how I was with, with Drip. Derek, of all people, knows that every night I would get an email as soon as billing ran and bing, I had a, a timer set on my phone and I would look at what the day's MRR was and I knew whether it was a good day or not. And I knew that like the 28th of the month was bigger because this, like you just, you become obsessed with it. And so I'm really into recur, you know, frequent feedback, I'll put it, because I think without that, you just, you just don't know where you're going. To answer your question fully, like I do think that angel investing has, I think it was a good move that I, that I did that because it prepares me for a lot of things. There's a whole skill set that I've learned doing that, not just about picking companies and founders, which I learned a lot about, but also about how to, like I'm kind of an advisor for three of them, pretty in depth where I see a lot of stuff and do calls with them and stuff. And I, that's going to come into play. I've done that for years, but maybe not in this, not with these high stakes and not in, you know, in this former fashion. Hmm. It's nice to have that background of like pattern matching. Yeah. Like having have enough visibility into it that you can start to see trends. That's right. That's exactly right. And it was it was interesting because when I left Drip, Sherry was like, What are you gonna do to fill your time in the you know in the short term? Because I know you're gonna take time off. And I was like, I don't know, maybe I'll do some advising. I talked to you do Derek about it on the air. And was kind of evaluating whether to do it. And I did some, and I, I still have a couple folks I'm advising. I'll probably wind that down because I don't want there to be conflicts potentially that I'm advising someone who has a competitor in, in the accelerator. So I'm thinking I'll wind it down. But one of the things there was, I was like, I just don't know how much help I'm going to be able to offer these people. And Sherry was like, what are you talking about? Like, you the, you know, they're where you were like five years ago or seven or whatever. And sure enough, the first advising client I had, he gave me a one sheet of all his metrics. And I was like, oh, and he said, what? And I said, you're going to plateau at 12K MRR. And he said, why? And I said, because your churn's this and this. Is, and he's like, how did you know that? And I was like, I just did the math in my head. Well, what math? You know, and, and it was just like, oh, okay, you don't know to think about that. You know, and I said, unless we get your churn down, it's good. And so it was just, it's one of those things where it's not a superpower. It's just, you just have done it. You know, it's like when people see you, you write code and build amazing things, it's like, whoa. I mean, that looks like magic, right? Just to non-technical person. But to you, it's like, uh, you just learned it. You know, it's just a skill that you did and you practiced and, and you honed it. 
Mm. I like that you have to have the, the personal experience plus the advising. Because like, so I'm thinking, I'm imagining a future in my head where it's like, okay, let's say that Tuple works out and I do well. And then people like want my opinions on things. And, I was, and I'm just thinking it will be so tempting to me to over extrapolate everything. Yeah. And be like, well, we did this. And therefore, <laughs> you should probably do this too, because it worked for us. Yeah. I think it, I think it would be really easy, and that's a that's where I'm glad that I've a done multiple, but also all the talks that I see, all the founders that I talk to, all the you know the um, whatever, just the microconf crowd and the community, and even just thinking through stuff week to week. You know, we do a lot of Q and A episodes on startups for the rest of us. Those help me shape thoughts that with a lot of inputs. I think that aren't just oh yeah, this one time I sent an email and made this much money. So send email, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it's like the the wisdom you develop over time of like when you have some early wins early on or you do your first startup and things work out and then you're like, I've got it all figured out and this is the exact template. And then the further you go, the more you realize like there's actually very few universal truths. And so then it's like you have to be more strategically thinking about things rather than just like applying what worked for you to other people's situations. And Although send email probably is a universal truth. That's right. <laughs> send more, probably. send email, charge more. Yeah, there's a few yeah, that we can There you go. That's about. even better. Yeah. So the world is uh, a little light on details of how this is all going to work. Do you, what can you share now? Yeah, so we are going to be, uh, we're fully remote. So we're like the first, you know, well, I shouldn't say the first remote. I'm sure there's some exist. I've kind of found a list, but they're just not they're nothing we've heard of and they're they're like these local city-based things you know i think i think we're the first like viable remote one i might say um we're going to be a full year assuming companies are able to hit milestones the idea is to give a lot of runway because something that that i realized is like venture capitalists give you buckets of money and they say here's the money move faster right and with a lot of startups that can work with twitter instagram or whatever with um sas it doesn't necessarily work that way. You know, SaaS is just slow and dumping more money in at a certain point can accelerate it. You look at a HubSpot, they raised pretty late. Their first round was late because they self-funded. But in the early days, man, more money does not make you move faster. You know, it really, really doesn't. So we're saying like, we're going to, you know, give similar uh, a range to what Y Combinator or Techstars would give in terms of, of money, but it's going to be over the course of a year. And it's to to kind of basically pay founder founder salary you know or founder salaries so think in the you know 120 to 150 range right that that's the typical kind of accelerator thing and then we've we've actually looked at a bunch of different structures one interesting thing i want to throw out is you'll see that some there's debt financing with SaaS, and then there's also you know just seed funds and such in this space and there's a very specific thing everyone either takes a percentage of revenue a percentage of profit or percentage of dividends. And those are three things are different. Revenue, obviously, we know that's just the money that comes in. And when I see that, I think, ooh, that's tough. Because even like 8% of your revenue while you're growing, is a, that's, a, that's a lot of money, you know? When I see profit, I used to, and we started evaluating doing profit. But that means if you run a business and it makes 100 grand this year and you're going to leave it in the bank account for, you know, uh, uh, whatever, for a rainy day or because you're going to hire someone next year or whatever, if you're taking percentage of profit, then right off the top, that comes like you can't keep that full amount in. Whereas dividends are only when you decide, when you make the decision to pull it out. That, that's a long way of saying we, we've looked at all three and we're looking to do the dividend approach so that in the early days when you want to keep money in the company, you can do that. It's, we're, 
pretty heavily influenced by Rand Fishkin's terms for Spark Toro. So he, uh, I'm, I'm an angel investor there, and he open sourced his terms. And that's the idea. It takes it out of dividends. Everyone shares based on the equity they own. So it really would be dictated by however much equity we take, you know, for that, for our investment. Um, when you decide to draw dividends, that the founders would obviously get the lion's share, and then we, you know, get a remaining. Gotcha. So this is this is cash for equity then. Yeah. Not yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's not for I mean and you know, technically I was I was talking to Einar about this. I mean, this is where there's all these weird details. It's like a lot of these will probably be S Corps. They're pass through entities, right? S Corps and LLCs. So if we truly have equity on the books, then what if you do make a hundred grand and we own X percent? Now we have to we have to pay tax on that X percent, even if you don't draw it out, because it's a pass-through entity, right? All the founders have to pay. So then I, I brought that up with INR and we were like, yeah, you know, we need to think about that. So do we truly have equity or is it just an equity-like instrument? I think that's one of the reasons why, um, like Indy.vc, they essentially have equity, but they don't take it. It's it's like in a contract, but not on paper or something like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you don't, they don't own the shares and I think that's why. So we need to figure that out. But yeah, the idea is that, Yes, it would be an an equity play. I feel like that aligns, I mean, I, I gotta be honest, I feel like it aligns everybody. You know, it's like, rather than a loan or a, it's like pay us back this much and then and then we don't have anything. So the, the investors lose on the upside. I don't know. There's, there's in-betweens for sure, but I do feel like we've gone round and round and I, what makes the most sense in my head still is give us some money and some, you know, mentorship, and and there's a there's a small piece that that goes for that. Mm. You said as a kind of a quick throwaway line, like if the company is hitting milestones, so are you like paying out in pieces and you got to do certain things? Yeah, I mean, in my head, milestones. It's like you're sh- you're working on the product, like you're showing up and working on it. I mean, because you know, some people might. The idea is that you don't work on other stuff, you don't freelance. You know, you don't, you shouldn't need to. And so, I don't think it's milestones like you have to hit this much MRR and this amount. That would be dumb, right? Because they're all going to move at different speeds. It's more like are are you still committed? Because if we're gonna, yeah, we are gonna gonna give a. a a chunk up front, you know, let's say it's 20 grand or 25 grand. It's like startup cost, right? You need stuff. Maybe you need a laptop or maybe you need AWS servers. And although we're working on getting a credit for that, but whatever, you know, you just have startup stuff, incorporation and such. And then dripped out over the year, right? Because it's like almost like a salary for the founders. Um, so, and that would be, yeah, if we find that someone is whatever, not showing up to any of the meetings, not giving us progress reports, it's going to be like, yeah, that's not, <laughs> that's not okay. You know, we have to uphold both sides of the deal. So. Makes sense. And so you're, are you imagining like weekly calls then? Like yeah, mentorship I think, type calls? Yeah, I would imagine either every week or every other week. And I could see it, you know, I, I've always respected the way Paul Graham did it. He set it up like a cohort uh, in grad school. And so he said, look, we want both community and we want advice time, office hours, which is why they're called office hours, because that's what you do in grad school. So I think I could imagine the way I think about it is probably a 60 or 90 minute call that's much like a mastermind, you know, where you get the eight or 10 or 12 or whatever together and there's a round table, maybe there's a hot seat um, format. And then separately from that, there's these, this two hour block, three hour block of office hours. It's all done via probably Zoom or something, video chat. And the office hours would be um, early on just getting people oriented Q&A, maybe review, maybe they, you know, screen share their homepage. And um, I mean, we have a 
uh, a good chunk of uh, mentors already lined up. So maybe, you know, Joanna Weeb is one as an example. Like maybe she comes in and critiques your copy, does a teardown of it. You know, we have Heat and Shaw. Maybe you ask him, hey, I'm trying, you know, the powered by thinking is not not doing well. Is there a way to get more virality? And he gives you advice. We have Patrick McKenzie, maybe he helps you with this. You know, it's it's that kind of thing. So we have a group of mentors. I think we have 18 right now. Uh, and I'm probably going to add to that. In addition to myself and, you know, Einar, who's a, a multi-time founder. So that was a long way to answer yes. I think there'll be a call a week or a call, you know, two calls every other week or something that kind of um, really helps people. And then ad hoc. I mean, this is all I'm doing, right? I, I'm, I don't have another job. I'm not going to start another company. So it's like, if people want to, if they're like, hey, I need to talk to you, like, well, let's talk then. If there's a crisis, if there's a whatever, like, it's going to do that. So, but I think the the cadence of having, you know, that whatever, that weekly or every other week thing will be good. Hmm. Yeah, I like the sound of it. It sounds like a positive pressure. I think it's so. Like knowing you're to have that meeting, like what would you get done? Like this, this podcast kind of does that for me, where it's like I want to have something to say. Forced accountability, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So. It's hard to just like go off and and hide in a hole. Yeah, yeah. You have to think about what did I, what can I do this week that I can talk about? You know, which is mm-hmm. a good, which is good motivation, right? You wanted to hit that. 360 mark and you're getting towards the, towards the end. And if you hadn't made that commitment to yourself, you would, maybe you wouldn't have tweeted. You wouldn't have looked for that reason to do it, but you did, right. you know? Yep. Yeah, totally. So. That's good stuff. I've, I've been curious about the details. So it's, yeah. I feel like we scooped the world a little bit. I totally, this is the first time we're, we're talking about it more, more in public, definitely going to be, you know, doing another announcement and kind of sure, sure. these out, just trying to nail enough down that it doesn't feel like we're putting stuff that we would need to change later or whatever, but. Mm. Do you have any like um, dates in your head, like when this will probably start? Yeah, I think, you know, it depends. It's funny it, when you're doing something like this, it's it goes in stages because like the stage right now is we are essentially in full fundraising mode because we need to get them all the money. And I'm not sure how much I'm even allowed to talk about that, but I'll just say that has not been an, not been an issue. You know, it's like we're 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 good to go at this point. And then we have to go and actually do all the paperwork and do all the legal to set this up, which is a non-trivial, we can't go through, you don't just go through Stripe Atlas, you know, for this, like it's a, it's a slog. So once that's done, um, yeah, then we'll, we'll put out applications, but I'm, I've already been talking to some founders because I just want to get, a, get their feedback, but also, you know, hear what they're up to. So I think that's a long way to answer. I've been thinking, I would love to have applications out in January and then take like two months maybe, you know, to, to interviews and all that. But yeah, it's like any startup, you know, we could run into any number of issues. I mean, can we can we get money that fast? I guess we don't need the money by January. But yeah, that's the number in my head or the, or the month, you know, the month in my head. And we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Cool. Nice. Well, good luck. Thank you, sir. Derek, you want to wrap us up? Sure. Yeah. So to kind of circle back on the uh, announcement last week where I basically started uh, launched the pre-orders for level and announced the soft launch date basically of late january january 21st is what i'm what i'm operating on pre-order is still open but definitely they've trickled off so i'm sitting now at 43 which feels pretty good so i'm planning to do kind of direct outreach to each one of them and kind of um, start a conversation and see what they're you know why did you why did you buy the pre-order what are you looking for kind of going to get a sense for if they're just wanting to throw their hat in the ring in support of the product or if they're really like anxious to get in and then kind of start to start to think about like scheduling and when when's the right time to to get them looking at the product so that's that's coming up in the next two months basically (laughs) 43 is a good amount it's not, it's, it really is Goldilocks. Cause if you get only got 10, 
it'd be like, uh, but if you got like 300, it's like, I can't talk to all the, I mean, 43 is, it's, it's a good number. Yeah. Yeah. I think I mentioned this to you, Rob, but I didn't know what would be considered successful. And it's one of those things where like, it, it was hard for me to find precedent on this exact thing that I was doing. So like, it's purely a pre-order. I don't have a product for someone to try out right now, or I'm not letting in, you know, people to, to try it. So like, would this be enough incentive for people to actually put their credit card down and put a little money forward? And it feels like good, a good amount of validation. It was just like what I needed to see, like, okay, people are not just humoring me here. They're like, there are some people who are really serious, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's like such a good lead list of to people to not go contact. Totally. Yep. This last week, I, I wanted to do a little bit of work on the onboarding flow. Just I know it's really important to be thinking about that early, and I didn't want to save that right to the end, <laughs> which I have done in the past and know how like how it feels to be scrambling on like this is the first run experience it should probably be pretty good so workflow. Um, <laughs> what's that workflows he, he did the workflows yeah. cough under his breath yeah <laughs> yeah that was not yeah, a, that tale was, that was, was told not a good the only date we ever committed to in drip's history and as soon as <laughs> the, literally the day of you're like hey we all of our onboarding us oh no yep. yeah terrible <laughs> exactly um, so yeah, I feel like I laid a good foundation for like how I'm going to add future tutorials into the product. And what I, the, the one I published, it's live right now for people who are in the app is just like a welcome to level kind of defining, like here are the key fundamental principles behind the product and trying to like set the stage for expectations compared to, compared to chat, because I already got some, some feedback from some of my alpha testers, like basically asking for level to operate very similar to how chat does so they're like yeah how do i how do i get notified anytime anyone posts in this thing and how do i like there were some questions like that and they were totally well intentioned but i was like it's gonna be it, it set me off to the fact that like it's gonna take some education to get people accustomed to this paradigm and i have to really i have to get enough emotional investment involved in there where it's like this is a big step uh this is important to be doing but you have to be willing to embrace some a different way of working. And so here's how level works and with just a little bit mixed in there of like, and this is why, like there are no, there is no presence indicator because it's a crappy indicator of whether someone's actually working and it leads to these kind of toxic things like this, these dynamics between colleagues. And, and so I have like eight different points like that, that I kind of make in this welcome tutorial. It's the first thing people will see coming into the product. And then, and then after that, they'll kind of go through a more of like set up your set up your level account or if you're a member like set up some of your groups that you want to join and stuff like that so yeah so that felt good getting some some foundations laid and then yeah one other note that i started thinking about was the um the legal side of things like i haven't i haven't gotten privacy policy in terms of service set up yet yeah, I don't know if either of you have looked into this lately, because I know in the past we used Snap Terms, right, Rob? Yep. Um, and their website looks like it hasn't changed for like four years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think the buy buttons are like broken on there too. So I emailed them to be like, are you guys still in business? I know the landscape has changed a bit too since GDPR, and there's like no mention of GDPR on their website either. So I was just like... And what I'm finding is there's a lot of there's a lot of solutions that are either like a free policy generator, which I don't necessarily want because I know it's just, it's not like catered at all to your particular type of business. And then there's a lot of like subscription services that like host your policy and then like 
updated over time as things change. But I kind of I kind of like the cleanliness of like, let's just work out what it's going to be. And I will pay for a document or set of documents and just have those locked down. I spent a few hours just like trying to get a feel for the landscape and didn't come away with any solid conclusions from that. That's tough. I do yeah. have, I know two SaaS lawyers, they're in California, I'm, which I'm trying to think of would be a problem with licensing or whatever, but I can recommend them. But I would hope that SnapTerms or someone would be around to still do that. I mean, honestly, SnapTerms was definitely the, it was the bootstrapping way to do it, you know, because it was, it was 500 bucks or 600 bucks and who knows how good they actually were. I know that they were all rewritten when we were acquired, you know, by an, ex, an expensive legal team, but um, so it depends on what you want to do. sounds like the most boring problem imaginable to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This sounds like a thing I would rather do almost anything than think about this problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why I haven't even given any thought to it, but I'm like, well, I'm starting to collect, you know, payments. Like, this is probably important to have ducks in a row, but like, how, how can I do... I mean, the minimum that like protects my users and protects me and all that kind of stuff. But like, I don't want to necessarily pay like multiple thousands to a lawyer for a completely custom set of terms. I mean, maybe the middle ground is like running through a service like a snap terms or something like that and then paying a lawyer to like review it and tweak it or something like that. Um, Or I think you find a lawyer who does SaaS terms and then they have their boilerplate that they start from. Yeah, and don't necessarily start at their don't charge, you know, yeah. five grand or whatever. And then I'll split it with you and we'll just place totally. your company name <laughs> well, with I, my company name. I was going to say, I still have the old uh, drip terms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we can't do that, but that would be I know. funny. Well, and I, I have, I did, when I did Code Tree too, I bought, I paid Snap Terms and did, got my privacy policy terms. and terms. And I was that like, like, I a have great document still. business. Like Snap it's multiple terms. hundreds of dollars for what sounds like just like, boilerplate pretty much Thanks. yeah they asked a wow. few questions but i and i'm sure human reviewed it but i it was not i'm sure it was hmm. not a ton of work for them yeah hmm. interesting and then there's the other option of like there there are a number of open source ones like the automatic privacy policy is creative commons there's i think maybe gitlab is creative commons or something microsoft has one so like they're floating around out there but they're large you know 12 page documents and a lot of mentions of their specific products and the way they specifically work and so that feels daunt like doesn't feel like a good use of my time to be pouring through that and trying to p- play lawyer. <laughs> you know who should do this maybe is Stripe. Stripe Atlas. That's exactly what I thought. I went into Stripe Atlas and I was like, "Where's the where's the section for the privacy policy?" I was going to ask if did you email them because I'd no. be curious to find out if if they don't already if they don't want to maybe they don't want to take on the liability of it. You know, that yeah. would be the thing, mm-hmm. but it's yeah. re- be really interesting for them to open source a simple, someone to open source a simple. Like really minimal. Yep. Right. That would be Because I feel like there should be something, and probably one of these, honestly, one of these free or almost free things is probably good enough to start. Like, I don't want to overthink this too much. And I think you can start with like basic protection and then you can get more specific about like the specific nuances of how you process data and what you do with data. I'm just vacillating between like getting something quick and dirty like that'll cover me cover the basics and just doing it right the first time you know because i kind of don't want to think about this more than once <laughs> for a while yeah so. quick and dirty is what i would lean towards but it's t- yeah. it's tough when you, you have liability there right and you have real right. you know, there's real legal implications of it yep hmm. at least you have your llc shielding you i know so. that's what i was gonna yeah. say you know you got one layer yep <laughs> so yeah so i think that's my that's my update cool I did have one thought as you were talking, which is that you're you're saying like people asking you for features that like, how do I make this more like chat? 
And I was thinking like, so I have like my own like dopamine addiction a little bit to Twitter and just like that, like I refresh it and there's like a new thing and there's a new mention and there's a new whatever. And I'm like, that makes me feel good for that moment. And it's like, it's like junk food candy for my brain. And chat is kind of the same thing. Like chat is more of that junk food, which is why it's bad. Like it is a bad thing, but you still want the junk food. And so level is a little bit, a little bit more like the vegetables. And it's like, you got to eat the vegetables. I know I should eat the vegetables, but like they're not quite as sexy as the candy. Totally. Don't, yeah. don't make that your headline on your marketing. <laughs> <laughs> Slack, oh, is the, Slack is like a Snickers bar. We're the spinach. Oh, God. <laughs> Isn't that a good I message? mean, I did use the word uh, in, in one of my, in the tutorial, I think I used the word detox. Because that's really what <laughs> yeah, people I need to I do. I like that. You know? Totally, yeah. No, I dig that. Yeah. That's, that's a good word. Hmm. Yeah. But that's going to be the, that'll be the trick that's, is like that's convincing the trick. people th- to eat their vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> but I think if you can crack that, like you actually can make people better off. Yeah. So that's the thing. Like you have a harder sales job, but your outcomes are so much better. Yeah. Like you actually have what they want or what they should want, <laughs> what they need. Yeah. And it's obviously only going to be a subset, right? It's not like you're, you know, it's a small percentage of Slack users who would even entertain it. But the ones who really have that struggle, you know, the Slack free workplace, I've seen that now. I tweeted it out. Like there was a job posting and it was, we were a Slack free workplace. I was like, that's interesting. Like people are, there's a little, there's starting to be a, a little underground wave of backlash, you know? I mean, that's even with, you know, as I think about Tiny Seed, obviously there would be a Slack channel, right, for the group, for everyone to be in communication. But then I was like, why does it need to be Slack? Why, you know, shouldn't it be level? Like, isn't that, I mean, I want to build the the sane startup where it's not, oh, everybody needs to get in touch all the time. It's like much more of a manageable workflow. So, yep, mm-hmm. totally. Cool. Well, good updates, gentlemen. Yeah. Anything else we should touch on before we wrap it up? No, I think that was it. Silence in the room. Yeah. You can't sing this, but they're shaking their heads. <laughs> show notes? Yeah. Show notes are at artofproductpodcast.com. Awesome. Thanks for listening. And thanks for being on, Rob. Good to talk to you. My pleasure, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.